Sorry, I've got to get my props here. The world is looking for meaning in many, many different ways, especially tonight. Um, we, I think we all know that we can't find ultimate meaning you know, in the presence under the tree, but they do represent, hopefully, the love that the person uh, who is giving it to us uh, was trying to convey. At least that's the idea. When we're young, of course, it's quite the opposite. We, we think, what am I going to get? And hopefully when we get older, we think, what am I going to give? Christ is, uh, God is very real. Uh, he simply wishes to be discovered. We have to find him in our own way. Each of us is a unique individual, all of us on a, on a path to the same destination, which is that this world is temporary and to a world of the future that God wishes to reveal, but, but he reveals it in humility as a little child. I wanted to mention today kind of the story of Our Lady Guadalupe very briefly because Mary comes in that vision uh, with child. And in fact, the, the feast is, is December 12th, she is about 10 days away from birth in that image. And this, the, the story of that image is very interesting because 500 years ago, uh, the, the conquistadors had very little success converting the native Aztecs, not without reason since they'd conquered them. And ten year, within 10 years after this, this, uh, this image had appeared, 9 million Indians had converted. And that, made, that in fact, created the modern uh, state of Mexico, uh, country of Mexico, but she is the, the patroness of all the Americas. It's an interesting story because Juan Diego was a middle-aged uh, Indian man whose job was carrying things around in his uh, tilma. I can't find my microphone in here. Got too many clothes on today. And uh, got to get my little equipments here. And so Juan Diego is walking along, and he's using, I, I love this because it's got a little tilma on it. His, his covered his whole body, top to back, because you know the, the Shroud of Our Lady Guadalupe is quite large, and Juan Diego was not a large man, so it would have covered everything, and he would have carried burdens in it, kind of like this, kind of like what the monks up at Mount Angel have scapulars, and also on his back. So he's busy laboring. He's a middle-class man of his era, one of the few converts to, to Catholicism before Mary appeared. And she, she, he sees her, and she looks like a 17-year-old a girl running down a mountain. And uh, he says to her something along the lines of, what are you doing here? It's cold. You should be at home. And she says, my little son, Juan de Guito, my little son, my little son. And she's, he says, who are you? And he, she says, I am the mother of the true God and I have a mission for you. And she sent him off to the bishop to tell him to build a chapel on that hill. Well, the bishop uh, wouldn't believe him anymore, and he'd believe any of us if we said that. And so uh, Juan Diego didn't want the job after, after getting the bishop's, well, don't call me, I'll call you. So anyway, he came back, and she met him at that same hill. That was his normal route of whatever he would carry. And he said, uh, he said, well, you got to get somebody else, Mary. I'm not being colloquial here, but uh, you have to get somebody else. I don't have any connections. I'm nothing, see. I'm like Christ, you, you might say. And she said, no, you're exactly the person I want. That's exactly what I want, you know, somebody without connections. He went back again, and the bishop 
By that time, everybody was laughing about the Indian with visions, okay? So he was, he was being made fun of there, and he sat there for a long time. Bishop let him in, and bishops are supposed to be skeptical of this kind of thing. And he says, well, you ask her for a sign. That's what I need. So anyway, Juan Diego, because his uncle was ill, was going to get a priest. Didn't, this is, and there are six different accounts of this contemporary to this. So we have this, we have this story very well documented. Imagine this is the hill of Tepeyac, right? So instead of going this way, he cuts around the back so he can avoid this lady. He doesn't want to see her anymore. And she, uh, she comes running down the hill and catches him. She says, my little son, my little son, why are you here? Where are you going? He says, well, my uncle needs a priest. And, uh, and so she says, he, even now he's healed. She says, um, what are you afraid of? Don't you realize that I am your mother? Are you not fortunate that you are under my protection? Do you have anything to fear with me and my son? And so she, um, he, uh, she says, go up and pick these flowers on top of the hill of Tepeyac. And he did. They were roses from Spain that weren't even brought over to the New World yet. And not, nor did they grow in zero degrees at 8,000 feet. So she picks, he picks all these roses and puts them in his little tilma. I love this part of the story. I love this the most of all. So he brings them down to Mary. Remember, she's a 17-year-old girl. He's a 55-year-old guy, right? And she's calling him her little son. That in itself is funny. She takes those roses, and she doesn't like the way they're arranged, so she rearranges the roses like any, any woman would do. And uh, <laughs> I said, you know, you can't make this up. I don't know why she was rearranging the roses, but he carried them faithfully all the way to the bishop with instructions to show no one but the bishop. People, everybody wanted to know what was in the tilma. And finally, somebody got a peek, and that was it. They immediately ran into the bishop. He got escorted in. He was no longer the Indian with the visions. And he says, uh, and he says well, here's the sign, of course, that, that Mary gave you, and here they are. And on, of course, on this tilma is the image of Our Lady Guadalupe. You can see it there. And I have my little clicker. I actually have a high-tech homily today. Oh, good. Thanks, Dan. You ru- Dan ruined my moment. I'll get you later, Dan, for that. I have power now. I can control you. Um, <laughs> that's a dangerous thing to say. Um, anyway, I, I, I won't go into it too much, but I actually have this pointer, which I lost at the last minute. And the owner of it is here, so I have to be careful. I can't see a thing with this pointer. Can I have my money back? It doesn't go this far, does it? So much for high tech. Anyway, this, this image, and this is not at full size, but if you go to Mexico City, um, you can see it today. And what's interesting about this image, I, I bring this up because this image converted, like I said, seven to nine million Indians in 10 years because it's a message in code for people of 500 years ago, and none of us can read it today. It's not meant for the modern city of Mexico, or modern state of Mexico, or the Americas. It, it has two messages. One is for the modern scientific world. One is for 500 years ago. Without going into much detail, she's standing in front of the sun. That was one of their gods saying, I have, this, I have eclipsed the sun. She's standing on top of Quetzalcoatl, the, 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 uh, the god of the underworld. I am standing at, she's conquered both gods. She is Aztec royalty. That's that color of, 
of, of turquoise. She is wearing the cross around her neck of the conquistadors. I come in the name of the, of the God of your conquerors. She is bowing her head, uh, it, saying that she uh, is not God, but is bowing to a higher authority. She, she claps her hands in prayer, inviting them to pray. And there's a, a slide I want you to see yet, so I'll go back to that. And um, in many other ways, the stars on her garments were the stars of the day. And each the little flowers on her garment were writing that they could read. And in, in that, in many other ways, Juan Diego uh, spent the last 10 years of his life explaining this to one, one group after another that would come on pilgrimage. And this, this cloth... Uh, and there are probably about 25 other different uh, symbols in this that the Indians picked up on, or the Aztecs, excuse me, that um, we can't see today. But Mary had something, the Lord had something in leaving this for us. It's a miracle this exists. There is no other cloth like this anywhere in the world. Any, this cloth is made of agave fibers. What else do uh, we make out of agave Ah, that's for after Christmas, yes. Agave, right. I had a tour of, the, uh, of, of this, and then they made us uh, tequila out of, out of the same stuff. If you make a cloth like this today, it will be gone in 20 years. You take it to Mexico with the salt air that they've got there, it's gone in 10 years. We cannot make a garment in the modern era without preservatives, and there are none in this, that last 20 years, let alone 500 years. Why is it still here? That's one question. Another is, it sat out in the open for two or three hundred years with candles burning underneath it. Anybody seen a church with candles burning underneath it? You know, I mean, black smoke, not hurt. You know, it just goes on and on. For many, many, many years, several centuries, the two halves of the thing, which goes right down the middle here, were, were uh, connected with one thread. One thread. Um, we go to the next slide. This is a picture of Juan Diego from the shrine itself uh, uh, showing uh, Fry Juan, uh, Bishop Juan de Zumaraga, who's kneeling, this image, uh, which surprised Juan Diego as much as everyone else. And this is the actual image in, in uh, Mexico City. It's very interesting because there's a moving sidewalk underneath it so you can't stay too long. <laughs> you know, So nobody can stand there and hog the scene. But uh, it, it, you know, remember this was on an Aztec's uh, front and front of his garment, and it wasn't new when he was wearing it. It's it's burlap, and it's it's sitting up there. And the further away you get from it, the the, the larger it gets. It's an optical illusion, and it's the most amazing thing because it uh, it, it has a certain quality of light to it, and yet it's not painted. The scientists have looked very, very carefully under uh, the strongest microscopes, and there is no paint on this and no brush strokes. It, it is inexplicable, even today, how this image is on this fabric. And so uh, um, I, I saw the red mass here, and further back, like I said, it just got larger and larger. I have no idea why it does this. This image, looking at the modern, just a few little um, uh, interesting scientific things. And I think what I'm bringing this up because our Lord has many signs of his existence, but we can only see them in humility. God does not want proud and arrogant people in heaven. Uh, that's, 
that's, uh, God is not like that. He wants us to find him and develop a quality in ourselves of, uh, of, of the humility that we all appreciate in each other. You know, and so God comes in this form so that we can approach him. And he's, he gives us, each of you and I signs, all kinds of signs, if we only had the eyes to see beyond the five senses as to what's really around us. We have no idea what kind of world we're living in. This, this miraculous earth for which, for all we know, is the only one in the universe we've found so far we can live on. It's not an accident. You are not the product of an explosion that ends in nothingness. That's the modern world's answer to existence, nothing. But Christianity says you are children of God, and God foresaw every one of you before you were born, and you have a place in heaven already for you that you have to choose, and we choose it in humility. So we look at this thing, and just to, just to go forward here, I want to show you this. It's very interesting. You can see the seam halfway down. The cloth is made of two separate garments, and there's the seam. My pointer doesn't go that far. But uh, notice how Mary deftly turns her head to avoid the seam. Isn't that interesting? Um, the hands there are interesting. Somebody painted them a little bit shorter at some point in the past because she didn't have hands that were short enough to be an Aztec. Isn't that interesting? The paint is coming off, and the original is still under there. What that tells us is that this is not... The Indians all thought, this is one of us. She's one of us. In Japan, she looks Japanese. In Africa, in Kibo, she looks like an African. In Lourdes, she looks like a European. Here, she looks like a Middle Eastern lady. This could very well be the way the Virgin Mary really looked. Okay? That's very interesting. Um, what I want to show you, in addition to all those other interesting scientific phenomena, of which there are many others, you can see the gold is, is chipping off in the back. That's because they painted it over, and the original lighter gold is still perfectly intact underneath. Um, many have tried to paint this image on various medium, especially on, on agave, and it all fades in a very short period of time. This is as vivid as the day it was painted. And the other thing about it's interesting, in the 1920s, um, the, uh, during the Cristero movement, if any of you saw the movie about this, they put a bomb right under Our Lady of Guadalupe, a massive bomb to destroy her. They were at war with God, and that bomb went off. It was in flowers. Every window in the cathedral was blown out. The cross next to it was bent, curved backward. I saw, it with, I saw this cross with my own eyes. The glass on this was not even touched. So that's, an, that's one. But the, the image that is most interesting is the, in the left our left eye more than the right eye because uh, it's a little bit closer. Uh, somebody in the 1920s put this under a microscope and they found some phenomena that was unknown until the modern era, until photography. And that is that Our Lady has a curved eye on there and you can't see it unless you're looking under a microscope. It's curved and what she's looking at is curved and upside down. If you look at, at, your, at your friend's eye next to you, you see an image of yourself curved and upside down. Varying distortions depending on how far away they are. This is exactly what you see in this image. This is very interesting because 500 years ago, nobody knew of this phenomenon. 
If they did, they never painted it. You won't find one painting or one image or one person from Galileo on down that knew about this, this phenomenon. It took photography and the reflection off the, off the, off the cornea, please help me, an ophthalmologist, um, to see this. And what you see when you look in there are seven to 14 individuals, if you, depending on which eye you're looking in. And what you see very clearly is Juan Diego holding the tilma out. You see the, the bishop kneeling in front of it like you saw in the statue. You see the bishop's interpreter. You see a slave next to the, or a servant of some kind next to the bishop uh, standing up. And you see a number of other people kneeling as they look at the image. So what you're seeing is Our Lady uh, as she appeared the moment the image was created. That, that in itself doesn't prove that God exists. What it, what it does say is that there's more than meets the eye to this world for any who care to look. It, it really is, we live in a world that God has set it up so that if we don't want to believe, we are free to not do so. It, there are a lot of things that call God into question in this world. There was a tsunami in Indonesia yesterday, for example. That's just one of a of hundred examples one could pick out of, the, out of the sky immediately. But when we talk about that, we see that this little child grew up and was tortured to death for our sake. Whatever we say to God, he can say, I took it also, and I'll explain the rest to you later. That's, it's, there's more to it than that. But God hides in all kinds of places in our lives, especially in suffering. But he also hides in, in these kinds of things. One might say that for those with faith, no evidence is necessary. For those without, no evidence is sufficient. You could also say, if you don't want to believe it, it can't be true, so it isn't true, so I'm not even going to look at it. Uh, I had a lot of conversations with our deacon last year. He was a nuclear physicist, PhD. I thought he was going to talk only about quarks and bosons and things when he was here. We had a lot of nice conversations over dinner the uh, nine months he was here. And he said he ran into a lot of uh, his fellow scientists from Los Alamos where he worked and also taught as a research physicist, if you can believe that. Um, and they couldn't, believe, um, they couldn't believe that he had gone into the priesthood and he, you know, he, he asked them the ultimate questions and, uh, for which there are no answers, is why is there anything at all? Uh, and, uh, and my favorite one, of course, I'm being colloquial, he had a much better explanation of this, is you don't, you don't start with an explosion and end up with a 747 at the other end of it. I don't care how you explain it. You know, there's a lot of ways to look at life, but to me, God sends each individual in the room your own little hints. Where has God sent a hint to you? That's a pretty big hint. But each one of us has moments when God speaks to us. Um, perhaps Christmas is a time to think about the deeper things. All of us who are shopping, let's face it, we're looking for something we can't fill at, at Target or wherever we're going. You can't fill it anywhere. Uh, we haven't, we're temporal beings uh, in any, we're eternal beings in a temporal world as as with eternity in our hearts, there is nothing on earth that will ever fill us. If we were given eternal life on earth, it would eventually become hell because we will have seen everything. And it is not enough for our hearts. God comes like this so we will find him. It's a hint. You will find me in the small things of life, in the, in the people around us, and in the world that we see. 
It is a broken world. We all know it is. But we also know that Christ was broken for us. It's a hint that suffering has great meaning and that life is not the way it appears to be.